The scripture for today is John 3, one through three. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> Let me join others in welcoming you here in the room online. My name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors and serving alongside our lead pastor, teaching pastor Rob Sweet. I, I, I say this on a regular basis to those of you who already know that, but there are people who don't. And, you know, it may be as I, I was over there at the introductory class between services and someone said, yeah, we, we came and um, we really liked uh, Rob. It was so good. And then, then we saw you get up and we thought, oh, geez, I got a guest speaker. I don't know if I'm gonna like him. So, you know, you don't know, you don't know. But we, we believe in a plurality in the pulpit in all across ministry areas and in the pulpit in particular because we want, we want God's people to know God's word, love God's word, no personality, no certain teacher, anything like that. So uh, if you're new or unfamiliar with how we do things, we want you to know that so that, you know, we rotate back and forth between our two campuses, Brentwood and here. Uh, Rob mentioned to you last week that uh, I am gonna be stepping into a time of sabbatical. In fact, tomorrow, I know, you're clapping for me. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at y'all going, you know, y'all don't get to do that. You know, I mean, like many of you work in places, you don't. I, I totally get that. But I, but I want to say a few things about it. I do step out tomorrow and, and we'll be out through November 20th. Um, a, a few things first. I, I'm grateful. May I, you know, may I clap, you know, for, for you all and for our elders. I, uh, Lisa and I get a season, you know, and I trust it'll be a season of rest and reflection, looking back on what God has done, but also, you know, excitement about what God has in store for us uh, in the future. Secondly, I want you to know this. I'm the seventh staff member in the last two years that has taken a sabbatical. So, so, so this is a reflection of your elders at their direction. They say, we want, we want staff, you know, that have been, you know, had a season to take time. And so I just want you to know, you, this has been happening. You just haven't seen it made for robbery per se. And it is an indication of your elders care for the staff, which means their care for you. And honestly, I step away with just deeper gratitude uh, for those, uh, those men that we all uh, walk under and serve under. Um, and then third, my son sent me a, a, a podcast. It was last Friday. And he said, Dad, you need to listen to this. And it was a podcast about pastors being, in a sense, driven from the ministry and leaving the ministry. And it's absolutely true over the last five years that the spike in those in ministry settings leaving has been incredible. Um, uh, it, it's a marked difference from historical trends. And, and, and I get it, you know, many finding themselves in no-win situations. I'll speak from the pastoral perspective, congregations where, you know, you're trying to lead and navigate through COVID protocols, you know, us as, as all others, or in the midst of the political partisanship, all of which is seeped in the church, we're not immune to those things. And many churches have experienced a tremendous amount of sideways energy, whether within the body or within staff team or within an elder board. And I want you to know by God's grace, there's nothing special about us, but we've not experienced that. 
I'm so grateful that we have not. I've said this so many times over the last few years and I'll keep saying it, but I'll talk, I'll talk with people and I'll say to them, because I've been here you know, from the beginning and I'll say, you know, our, the health of our church, our staff, our elders has never been better. And I'm not throwing anybody under the bus around other times or seasons, but I'm just telling you, by God's grace and kindness, it has it's never been better. The clarity of vision, the, the unity of vision. Look, we're all going this way. Everyone doesn't have to go that way, but if you're here, this is where we're, it's just the, that energy and focus, um, the genuineness of care and compassion. And may I say, I attribute it, the significant significant portion of that to the leadership of Rob Sweet. And, and I say that as one who works very closely with him. And, you know, I always say every organization is a reflection of the leadership it's given. And, and I hope you feel what I feel. And that is what a gift Rob and Jody and their family have been to us at a certain time in our season that step into that leadership. And as time goes on, I only go, Lord, thank you. Thank God for this man and his particular leadership in this season. Um, and I say that because I want you to hear this. Y'all, I'm stepping into a sabbatical that I don't need. I'm doing fine, you know? I mean, you know what I mean? A lot of times you go when you're exhausted or whatever. And, uh, and I'm speaking for Lisa too. It's just, and that's a reflection of Rob's leadership, quite frankly. So I'm super, super grateful for that. Last reason that I'm thankful for this sabbatical at this time. The text that we are gonna step into here in a moment, if we get it, is going to create, I hope by the Spirit, some tremendous tension in all of us, more, some more than others, but in all of us. I hope it messes with us. I hope we feel what the main character in this particular story is feeling. Um, it's gonna stretch the limits of our understanding and it's gonna, I, I hope it does raise some prof, profound questions in all of us. And tomorrow I'm gone. I'm like, my email is off, you know? You can't call me. You gotta talk to somebody else about these things. But with that warning, and I mean it, I, I really mean it in, in the regard of the weight of the text. I want you to open your Bibles or your booklets, you know, that we gave you to John chapter three. We're in verses one through 21. John 3, 1 through 21, this is a whole, this is one unit, it's one story. But as Rob and I looked at it, we thought, we've gotta break this up into two parts. The weight and significance of this story, it can't be born in just one particular message. In this story, we find two of the most familiar statements or, or things, you might say, in the whole Bible. You know, the first one would be what Emily just read, unless you're born again, you're not in, born again. I mean, that, that's a phrase that it's not just within Christendom, right? Those outside the church, those I know not involved in religion or faith at all, they know that phrase and oh my, how misunderstood that statement can be. And yet we'll find in this text, uh, you do not pass go, you do not collect $200, you go nowhere apart from born again. <laughs> that's how important it is. The second thing that's so memorable, it's not a verse, it's an address. John 3.16, right? So even there, it's not like, uh, oh, everyone that's, that's been around church knows that. No, it, it, culturally, that, those words mean something. And most often they are misunderstood. 
not just by those outside the church, but as I'm gonna say here, those within. Uh, in that vein, uh, we're gonna walk out of here in 25 minutes or so, uh, not with a song in our hearts per se, not with a resolution. If, if you felt this, if you've been at fellowship long, I, I hope you felt this, you went, that was a long time of singing and worship <laughs> because it was, because what I'm gonna do in a few moments is I'm going to end this message with a quite abrupt to be continued because this message is really preparatory for one verse, John 3, 16, which Rob will pick up next week. And uh, we are going to wrestle all week. I'm gonna leave you in a moment with a question and Rob will bring the resolution to that next week. And we're gonna do it in a way that we've never done before. So I hope you don't miss next week. We'll be answering the question individually, privately, but we'll also answer it corporately as a community of faith. So with that, by way of context, look at chapter three, verse one, but skip, look, look a little above verse one at verses 23 to 25. I've gotta grab these verses and Rob covered them last week because these verses help us understand this somewhat familiar story. You'll see what I mean as I connect them. Look at verse 23, it says, now when he, that's Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. You know, when you read verse 23, 24 or 23, it says, and many believed in his name. I hope there's a part of you that just went, yeah. Because John chapter 20, verse 31, 32 says, I've written these things that you would believe in his name and have life. So it's like, oh my gosh, it's happening. It's already happening. We're only in chapter two and then people are believing, et cetera. And, and, and I, that's where we, we, we ought to go in a sense. But what we see is, this is they believed, but contrast, Jesus didn't entrust himself to them, i.e. it wasn't the kind of belief that saves. It was an insufficient belief. It's to say this, all who are Christians are not Christians. All who go to Fellowship Bible Church are not Christians. In the room you're looking at me, those of you online, please, I say this with tremendous grace to say there are some, there's, it's, it's a fact, this is a reality. There are some of you who would say to me or someone else, you'd say, I'm a Christian, but Jesus would say to you, you're not, in the, you're not in, you're not a Christian. That's the sobering part of this. I'm gonna pick up verse one and I'm gonna connect it to verse 25. And I hope you feel the weight of it. There were no chapter breaks. There were no verses in the Greek manuscript. So when we read this, I want you to see how verses 22 to 23, set up the Nicodemus story. Look how it goes. This is how they would read it. It says, verse 25, and no one needed to bear witness about man for he, Jesus himself, knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Do you see that? Do you see how it just flows straight in? So now we've got to look at the Nicodemus story in this light. John is saying, this is a man, there are men that, that say they believe, but they don't have belief. 
In fact, there's a man, his name's Nicodemus. Let me tell you his story. So this is the story of a man whose faith is, uh, it's, it's, I'll just cut to the quick. It's non-saving faith. It's incomplete. And he's not a prodigal. He's not a rebel. I mean, just, the, just verse one tells us at least these three things. He's a Pharisee. There are no Jews in Israel that keep the law like the Pharisees. This is a law keeper. He's a ruler. Uh, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. That would be the 70 men who govern all economic, social, spiritual aspects of Israel, occupied under Rome, but it's the Sanhedrin. He's a spiritual leader. We'll get to this in a moment. Verse 10 says, Jesus says, you're the teacher of Israel. Definite article's there. You're the teacher of Israel. In other words, you're the number one rabbi. <laughs> you're the top rated professor of theology. That's who this guy is. If I, if I pick this up and kind of put it in our context, let me say it as bluntly as I can. This is a church goer. This is a Bible study leader. This is an elder in the church. <laughs> this is like a, te this is a teaching pastor. And in this way, you see, this message is not for someone else, like, no, 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 I prayed to receive Jesus when I was nine. I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm not, it's, it's, you know, no, and, and this message is not for me. No, it's exactly for me. And it's precisely for you. With that, 15 verses we're gonna cover this morning, setting ourselves up to resolve this question I'll give you at the end. Breaks out into three statements. I just gave you three placeholders, and this will kind of help you hold the message in your mind's eye at least. Verses one through three is about necessity. Verses four to eight about mystery. And then the last part, nine to 15, it's a picture. So there's a necessity that's mystery and there's a picture. That's how we're gonna walk through the text. Follow along, look at verses one through three. I'll read all three of those together this time. Our text says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you, you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, when I read that, I just, it, it just strikes me, the abruptness of Jesus, quite frankly, strikes me. If it was in the South, you know, or if it was, if, if, if I was Jesus, you know, my codependency, whatever, Southern part of me, you know, if someone came to me with a very nice compliment like that, I would go, man, thank you so much. I appreciate what you said. You know, what you said is true. But Jesus, Jesus just, you know, he comes and says, you're a teacher, you've come from God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you not see the king. It's like, boom, it just, you know, smack in his face. This is not a trick question. I want you to think about the text. Did, did Nicodemus ask Jesus, Jesus, how can one see the kingdom of God? It's not a trick question, just at the text. Did, did he ask that question? No. So why does Jesus answer him like that? I think that the, 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 the way we see this is back in chapter two, the back end I read to you, is that Jesus knew what was in every man. And so while Nicodemus didn't ask the question with his lips, 
What did Jesus know? He knew the question that resided in his heart. He knew exactly what Nicodemus needed. And I want us to stop there and just go, okay, let's, let's pause a moment for our own application. We're to bring all to, to, to God, to Jesus, you know, cast all your cares upon him. You can bring him all your questions, right? You know, you're wrestling with things. I think what this might point us towards is when we bring our questions, what's most important is the answer we're getting back, even if it doesn't kind of fit our question. And, and I'm speaking to those who, who know Christ, you, you, you trust in the spirit, that I wanna encourage you, pay attention to what God is saying to you even more than the question you have. Because whatever he's saying is addressing the core issue of your heart and my heart. And when I say pay attention to what he's saying, what I mean is the spirit lives in you. What is the spirit prompting in you? What, what word is the spirit bringing back to you from the word? What, what are you bringing to God and you're spending time in the Bible and you're reading stuff and you're going, that has nothing to do with my issue in life. Ah, ah, beg to differ. Pay attention to what the spirit is saying to you more than the question you're asking. Let's keep on in the text. Every Jew believed because they were born Jewish that they were in the kingdom. By the way, kingdom here means it's the reign and rule of God. It's God's rule over God's people in God's place. It is, it is to be in relationship with God, submitted to him. Um, for, the, for the Jew, the, the, the kingdom was that, that day future when the Messiah would come and redeem and, and save Israel, right? And restore Israel. For a Jew, there's the, there's, the, there's the age that is, and then there's this age to come. And for them, you know, if you're Jewish, I'm, I'm gonna be in the age to come. I'm gonna be in relationship with God you would have to be vile and blasphemous to not be in the kingdom. Do you get my point? So here's Nicodemus. If there, was, there were any Jews that all the Jews knew were in, oh my, it's a Pharisee. Surely it's Nicodemus he's in. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you're you can't get in unless you're born again. And clearly Nicodemus knows he's, whatever this means, he's not in. Here's what's important. The reason he's not in makes no sense to him. <laughs> he had, uh, you must be born again. Because it makes no sense to him because his understanding is that being in the kingdom is about what you do and don't do. And this man has done and not done precisely what the law has instructed his whole life. So, so it's like Jesus says something to him, he goes, that's crazy. That's impossible. But I'll tell you, it points to the fact that your salvation and mine and Nicodemus's, it's not about what we do or don't do. 
Now I'll qualify that, but you understand what I'm saying. It's not, a, it's not about us. Jesus is telling him that he must do something that's impossible for any human being to do. That's the divine necessity. You must be born again. Now, he only had one category for that statement, born again. And we're gonna see that category as Jesus explains the mystery tied to it. And that's verses four to eight. Look again at your, at your Bible. And I'm gonna pause as I read this because I wanna clarify a few things as I, as I go through it. So Jesus answered, or Nicodemus said to him, verse four, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, he's kind of grossed out by this as we should be. Lisa and I are kind of binging right now on Call the Midwife. You know, it's like, you see that? You know, but that's his picture. That is his picture is I'm an old man. I go in the womb and all he had was the physical reality in his head of what's going on here. Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Now notice what's happening here. Unless one is born again, you can't see the kingdom. Unless one is born of water and spirit, you can't enter the kingdom. Is he talking about four different things? No, born again is the same as born of water and spirit. See the kingdom is the same as enter the kingdom. Everybody with me on this? So, so he's, he's explaining what born again means. Then he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Flesh here is not the Pauline category of a fallen nature are bent towards sin. No, flesh here is understood as humanness. What is human produces human. What is spirit produces spirit. And then he, he said, do not marvel, I said to you, you must be born Again, and then the mystery, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going, where it goes. So it is with everyone who is, catch, he's seen it a third time, who is born of the spirit. I, I just want you to note anybody, it's born again, born of water and spirit, born of the spirit. These are not three different things. This is all the same thing. The word translated again is critical to our understanding here. Born again, it's the Greek anothen, and it has two meanings. One is from above, born from outside of yourself. This, this happens outside of yourself. From above would be from God, from heaven, spirit. The second meaning is completely anew. So which, which is it? Is he talking about born from above or completely anew? It's, he's, he's speaking of both here in this context. I'm going to show you how and why. But, but the, the mo, I think the weight of, of the emphasis in this context is that you're born from above, from God borns you, births you. The spirit births you. Countless 
books, articles have been written on this phrase, born of water and spirit, because it really is key. And it's probably the place where people get tripped up and confused. Born again means born of water and the spirit, it mean, which means born of the spirit. So what is this born of water and the spirit? Very few agree. I shouldn't say very few agree. There's just disagreement around what this means. Um, I, and we won't go into depth on this, but just two that kind of stick out to me that you can go, well, this is what I've always thought it meant or this is what I've read it meant. Someone hold that it's uh, born of water, like when a woman's water breaks. So it's like, you gotta be born physically, then you have to be born spiritually and that's how you're in the kingdom. Problem with that one is there's no Greek concept of a woman's water breaking symbolizing the marks of birth. That's just not the way they thought about it. So I don't think that... Um, would be the appropriate understanding. Now, the second one, people often look at this and say, oh, because this, you've got to be baptized and then you got to be born of the spirit. Now, again, you know what we believe about baptism, that it's a spiritual, it, it, it's a step of obedience for those who are saved. It's not a step of salvation, but you can see where some people would go, no, no, you got to be baptized with water and you got to be born of the spirit. And some hold to that. It's not what I believe this is teaching at all. The, I think the safest and, and most, um, I think the appropriate route to take on what does it mean to be born of water and spirit is to pay attention to what Jesus was expecting from Nicodemus. Here's what I mean. When he said this to Nicodemus, he expected Nicodemus to know exactly what he's talking about. Why do I say that? Because the text says that. He says in verse seven to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, be born again. Don't act shocked that I said to you, you must be born again. And then down in verse 10, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher? <laughs> I mean, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? It's in other words, Jesus said, you must be born again, born of water and the spirit, born of the spirit. And you, 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 you clearly know these things, Nicodemus. You should. Now, why should Nicodemus know this? He's a Pharisee. He's an expert in the Old Testament. Y'all, when we say the Pharisees knew the Old Testament, oh my gosh, I, there's, I don't, I can't, it, they would be like prodigies today in the sense of, and they are, where they know that Old Testament, like every jot and tittle, every phrase, every little piece of minutia, they just all committed to memory. And so Jesus says, you should know this, pointing to, you know the Old Testament. So there's something in the Old Testament that Jesus assumes that Nicodemus knows that he would understand, okay, this is what it means to be born of water and the spirit. I'm gonna pick one verse or a couple of verses, one section. Look on the screen. This is Ezekiel 36. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. And God is speaking through him so that Ezekiel tells the people, this is what's gonna happen when Messiah comes. When, when the Christ, the anointed one comes to redeem Israel, this is what's gonna happen. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe 
my ordinances. Now, just looking at that, obviously I've bolded certain statements, but note the connection between water and spirit. It's the work of the spirit that cleanses and regenerates. And he says, it's water. It's like wa- the spirit, i.e., you know, water, i.e., the spirit cleanses, rejuvenates, renews. Spirit would be comes from above. Think of it this way, if we just think about water and its use in the gospel of John, that particular context, go over here to John chapter seven and Jesus, I can't wait to get there, it'll be several months, but Jesus says, hey, everyone who drinks me out of his inner being will flow rivers of living water. And the very next verse, John says, and Jesus was speaking of the spirit. Wait, I thought you were talking about water. And Jesus was speaking of the spirit. You see that? So we could paraphrase this statement. Unless one is born of water, that is the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So to be born again, and we could say it, to be born, to be born from above, okay, is to undergo a radical and complete change that comes from outside of yourself. It comes from God through the person of the Holy Spirit. It's a change that is so utterly transforming. The only way to describe it is is it's like being completely radically born (laughs) than, than you were born originally. That's what it is to be born from above. Perhaps a breeze hit them, I don't know. But how about the mystery of it? Jesus says to Nicodemus, I'll change the conversation a little. Did you just feel that? The breeze? You know, what I'm talking about here, Nicodemus, is like the wind. Uh, we, We both felt it, didn't we? But you don't know where it originated. You don't even know where it's going but you cannot deny, you can't even see it, but you can't deny you felt it. You cannot deny the effect that it just produced. Now, now, now let me clarify the mystery. The mystery is not, what does it mean to be born again? That's not a mystery. That's that's expected to be known. He expected Nicodemus to know that. And now we know what it means. That's no mystery. I wanna suggest the mystery is how the spirit moves and when the spirit moves and why the spirit moves. I, I'm gonna phrase it like this. You know what I think the mystery is? Why anyone is a Christian. That's the mystery. Have you ever stopped long enough and and really thought about this and just asked yourself this question? Why am I a Christian? And you might go, well, because I prayed a prayer. Uh, Because someone told me to say this and I would be a Christian. I, I don't know what your reason is, but I'm going deeper than that. Have you ever just thought, why am I a Christian and this person is not? Are you smarter? Is it that you have this spiritual intuition that you were able to pick up the intricacies of the spiritual life? No, no, no. The Bible says we're all dead in our sin and trespasses. Why in the world am I a Christian? The spirit blew. 
and the spirit opened my eyes. And had the spirit not opened my heart to believe the gospel's true for me, I wouldn't be a Christian. I couldn't be a Christian. You ever see that? So, so the mysteries that were, that, were, that were Christians and the spirit moved on you and me and those of us who put our trust in Christ. And it puts the weight of glory on God and not on us when it comes to our salvation. Thank you, God, that your spirit blew in such a way. I can't even explain it, but I know what I, I, know what I believe now. That's the mystery. There's a necessity, you must be born again. There's a mystery, the mystery of where the spirit moves and who the spirit opens the eyes of. And then there is this picture. So, so Nicodemus is still confused as I would be, golly. But Jesus gives him a picture and this is where we'll end on the back end of this text. I want you to notice verses nine through 15. It says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And I feel I'm with Nicodemus. How can this happen is what he's saying. And Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? See, I think that points us to the Old Testament and what's there that tells us what this means. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I'm gonna pause on these verses. What is the we there? We don't know <laughs> for sure. What, what is the we? It, you know, here's some options. Uh, it could be the Trinity. It could be Jesus speaking of Father, Son, and Spirit. We speak of these things. It could be, some have said, the disciples. Jesus saying, me and my disciples. Look, we know what we speak. We, that's a hard one because the disciples don't know <laughs> yet. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, I don't think it's the disciples. And then others have said, you know, okay, it could be. Do you remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus? He spoke he was speaking almost like I'm speaking for me and all my Pharisee buddies. We know that you are. And it could be Jesus is just coming back at him with, we know. I don't know <laughs> which of those it is. I don't think it's the disciples, perhaps the Trinity, perhaps Jesus just um, grammatically saying, matching what Nicodemus has said. He says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? Now, this one's a little, little clear, I think, in that he just explained to him what it means to be born again, i.e., this is, this is the basics. This is, this is how you become a Christian. This is how you're in the kingdom. If you can't, if you can't grasp the basic reality, there's so much more that there is, but you would never understand it. And then he says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. This is uh, the, the, the incarnation. Jesus, you know, is, is he's, Jesus is God in the Godhead. He descended, he took on flesh, incarnated himself in flesh, became man, descended. He is in a few days, well, it, it's, it's longer than that here. You know, he is, after his resurrection, going to ascend back to heaven. He's gonna go back, you know, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the father. And this is simply, I think, a picture to, to Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, um, what I know, I know firsthand. When I say what heaven is like, it's like I live there. <laughs> when I say what God is like, I, I am God I, and I know God the Father. You know what I'm saying? My knowledge is not read in a book. It's not, that, I've been there. I know what I'm talking about and you're not receiving what I'm saying. And then he goes into the picture. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. May I say, before I talk about the picture, I, I think that, I think there's, I think we could say there's something happening in Nicodemus that I think has him right on the cusp of belief. I mean, he's just right here on the cusp of belief. And I think he's right on the cusp of belief because it's this point at which he's willing to say, I am dead in the water here. I, I can't save myself. There's nothing I've done, can do, not do that will get me in the kingdom. That seems to be what you're saying to me, Jesus. And I wanna say when Nicodemus really gets that, he's so close. He's so close to belief, saving belief. Well, Jesus gives him this picture. I think many of you are familiar with it. It's from the book of Numbers, Numbers 21. Um, The nation has been delivered from 400 years of bondage. I mean, they are set free. There's a sense where God has saved them, rescued them, okay? And now he's bringing them to the promised land, and you know this, he's bringing them through the wilderness. And while they're on this track, um, they get impatient And it's one of those things I always wanna remind us, lest we throw them under the bus, surely we would too. (laughs) And the the New Testament says, all this stuff in the Old Testament was written to remind us, okay? This is who you are too. (laughs) So this is a warning. So they they get um, impatient. And I'm just gonna quote this, Numbers 21. And the people spoke against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this, we loathe this worthless food. Now you gotta stop there and go, whoa, whoa, okay. What was the food that God gave them in the wilderness? Name it, what is it? Okay, so, so it was bread from heaven. And, and it's easy for me to go, gosh, you knuckleheads. I would never do that. Loathe God's food. Mm. Then I hope we think about this. A little later in John's gospel, Jesus is gonna stand up and he's gonna say to them, to the, to the people, the people are going, look, we're children of Abraham and God gave our fathers bread in the wilderness. And what's Jesus gonna say? I am the bread that was given to your fathers. I am the bread of life. What they loathed was me. So God judges them and send snakes, which just creeps me out. It's all the snakes, you know, like, gosh. <laughs> and they bit them, and it was lethal. You get bit, you die. They're dying, and you know, there's several millions, so they're dying by the thousands. And they cry to Moses and say, would you tell God, you know, and they, they repented. You know, we're sorry, would you tell him to, would he, would he get rid of the snakes? And then God instructed Moses to actually make a snake. You know this story, a bronze snake. And he said, I want you to put it on a, on a pole and I want you to lift it up. And so Moses makes this bronze snake. I mean, it's the very thing that's killing them. 
right? It's the very thing that's killing him. He puts on a pole and he says, I want you to lift it up. And, and, and Moses instructed people, if you will look at it, if you will put your eyes on it, then you'll live, okay? If, if, if you don't, you, you'll die. And again, it's not in the story, but I just think about human nature. I'd have, I could have easily been this person, you know? That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> Give me the tourniquet, I'll save myself. Moses doesn't know what he's doing. Literally, so they're dying by the thousands. So what did God do? Did he get rid of the snakes? He doesn't say he got rid of the snakes. What it says is, is that God made a provision for snake-bitten people to live if they would look upon that, how? In belief, in faith. There's nothing magic about that bronze snake. What's important is they were obeying God's word and promise and they believed it. If I look upon it, I am gonna live. And Jesus says, so must the son of man be lifted up. By the way, that word lifted up, when you see it in John, he'll talk about it again. It's the crucifixion. It is Jesus on the cross. It is, you know, the serpent raised. This is sin. This is the serpent. This is terrible. Jesus on the cross, what is he? Oh, he's the son of man, yes. But what is he on the cross for you and I? He's sin, he's sin. How many of us have been bitten by the snake? All of us, all of us. And you will die. He spiritually dies, separated from God forever. Unless you're born again. So the question I'm leaving you with today is that one. Are you born again? I want you to go ahead and stand. I'll end with this to be continued, right? This is to be continued. But I have this question in front of you and I mean it when I say, I pray it haunts you this week. I pray it haunts me in a good and healthy way and that I don't sit there and look at it and go, I, 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 I trusted Christ when I was three or I've always, I've always been a Christian or whatever you may say. I hope, I hope you say, am I born again? And wrestle with the question. We will pick up John 3.16 next week. Rob will, and we'll answer it, as I said, individually, privately, corporately. You don't want to miss it. You may have a question related to this or something else. And do you know we are now able and, and so glad to have our prayer partners up front. So if you just have something going on in your world and you want to pray with someone, then please come up and let us pray with you. May the Spirit of God blow upon us, over us, around us, in us, and through us, that he would open our eyes to see not just what it means to be born again, but to know that by God's grace, I am born again. Amen, and God bless.